Luke 4 um, on page uh, 1031, starting at verse 31. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before, before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are! With authority and power he gives orders to imp impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the house of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all, the, all who had various kinds of illnesses and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Yeah, good morning, everybody. Thank you, Rosie, for reading that. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you um, again for this morning where we get to dig into your word. Um, Father, prepare our hearts to hear what you want us to hear, Father. Um, may what we hear in your word this morning also um, compel us to action. Um, so we may continue uh, to be more and more like you each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know if anybody got the opportunity. We have this question. Name an individual or position of authority. What... What are some, just off the top of your head, what's, what's a couple of things that you think of when you think of an individual in authority or maybe a, a position of authority? Prime Minister, yeah. What else we got? What's that? Doctor, yeah. Good. CEO. King, yeah. Very relevant. Anybody else? So the church offices sit a little bit higher up. I think we're on the ninth floor. And we sit over a couple other roof lines. And so we, they had the political party uh, happening, a uh, campaign rally that was happening in front of the library. I don't, know if it was, I don't know if it was you, Johnny, who noticed, but we're, we're sitting and we're looking out the windows and we see these men lining up on the rooftop in all in black. They were snipers. And so... When I think of someone in an authoritative position, I think of, well, these guys that are looking down scopes at, <laughs> at people all day long. I'm like, ooh, yeah, that, that's a bit of an authoritative position to be in. So that's someone that, that I thought of. Um, but if I ask the next question, think of someone who's compassionate. Oftentimes, it's not going to be the same person as the person with authority. I do not see the snipers on top of the roof overlooking the square 
as compassionate people, right? There's just, oftentimes there's a separation um, between um, compassion and authority. And so um, I have a short story <laughs> that I'd like to share with you. So I was, I think I was six or seven years old. Um, my mom was a police officer, so very, she loved the authority that she had. And, and that authoritative personality that she had at work definitely carried into her parenting styles, uh, which is very unfortunate for me. Um, so there was a period of time where I had sticky fingers. Um, I, I would just steal things. And not with the intention to hurt, but I just, I would see a $20 bill on my grandparents' um, counter, and my instinct would be, I, I want that. And so into my pocket it would go. Um, I know one of my cousins who's older, he had like fireworks, he was always playing with fire and knives and bows, and so he had some fireworks, and, and I said, I want some of those fireworks. So I stuck some in my pocket and, and lit them at, at home, which a whole lot of trouble, because the question was, where did you get this? When my mom's doing the laundry of her six-year-old boy and she finds a $20 bill in the pocket, I don't have a job yet. So there's really no explanation other than Rich just took this from someone. So my mom, being a police officer, decided that she was going to educate me in an authoritative manner. And she says to me, Rich, you are a thief, and thieves go to jail. <laughs> I took a plan of escape, and I ran to my grandparents' house. Authority was my mother, grandma and grandpa, compassionate. It was about a 45-second sprint of in the body of a six-year-old to get to grandma and grandpa's house, because I wasn't planning on going to jail. Going to grandma and grandpa, they're going to save me, compassion is coming, they will do something about this. I think in that 45 seconds, my mom had the chance to pick up the phone and be like, hey, Rich is coming. You don't have the authority to do anything. I'm coming. So I walk in the door and I'm like, Grandma and Grandpa, Mom's gonna take me to jail. And I'm just weeping and waiting for this compassionate power to descend Grandma and Grandpa. And I knew it was game over when they said, oh, sorry, we'll come and visit you. <laughs> All hope was completely lost. I was completely gutted. So mom shows up in the car, walks into the house, puts me in handcuffs, puts me in the back of our car, and drives me downtown to the local police station, walks me in, has me fingerprinted by her colleague, and they proceed to walk me down the jail cell hallway which there's grown men that belonged in jail. And I'm being walked in as a six or seven year old boy. Can you imagine the comments that I was getting? I got to the jail cell, the doors opened, I went inside, they closed. And my mom said, I'll come and visit you too. I learned what authority was that day, and the power that authority had, but at the same time, I also felt like compassion didn't do a whole lot for me. <laughs> I realized that my grandparents, although they had compassion, seemed a little bit useless <laughs> in that moment. And so today we read in Luke 4, 31 through 42, and we really get to a chance to discover how Jesus was both. 
Jesus was both. He had authoritative compassion. I don't know that those two words always go together, but I think when we look at these texts, we see this clearly in Jesus. Um, so we're going to start, we're going to go through this passage once. We're going to look at Jesus' authority, which is pretty evident. And then we're going to go through this passage a second time and just look at the compassionate aspect uh, of Jesus and some of the other situations in this passage. So we're going to go through it two times, and we're going to see how Jesus was, authorita he was authoritatively compassionate. We're going to see how he fulfills both of these together. So we're going to start um, in the... In the very beginning, verse 31, um, we have Jesus, he's in, he's, in, uh, he's in the temple, and he's teaching. And so the words that are used, they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. Right? Can you imagine the Son of God reading God's word? Yeah, th there would be a sensation of authority there. So they were amazed by that. And then it continues to go down. Um, and then there's a, a, a man with a demon who's possessed by a demon. Um, he goes to the demon and he speaks to that demon directly. The demon leaves the man. And once again, they, they, they were amazed at the situation because they were like, who is this man that he can just speak? And the impure spirits leave. How, how is this possible? This is showing incredible authority because in the, in the Jewish culture, there was a whole lot of laying on of, of hands. It had a really powerful, significant meaning. Just the, there's a physical connection. There's, a, there's touch. And they would see things happen through those, through those times of prayer where there's laying on of hands. But Jesus just spoke and the demon left. Um, one of their other practices, um, would they would take roots, like a stinky root. I don't know if they would marinate it in something. And they would put it up people's noses that were possessed. So there's this whole process of saying, all right, we're going to take something physical. And the demon, the smell will be so horrendous that the demon's going to say, you know what? The smell is too much for me. I'm leaving. This was one of the practices of the day. And so you can see how there's, there's physical elements that people are used to seeing, but here Jesus just speaks, and the demon leaves. Authority. He just spoke. Then we move on um, to Peter's mother-in-law, right? Peter's mother-in-law is at Peter's home. He rebuked the fever, and it left so he bent over, verse 39, and rebuked the fever, and it left her. This is a miraculous healing. She had a high fever. It says that she had a high fever. It's, it wasn't just a, you know, take some time. She sat up immediately and began to serve them. I don't know who's had a really high fever here, but... When you have a high fever, it's not an instantaneous, I'm going to sit up because the fever is gone and now I'm going to begin serving. Um, we visited some friends in um, Finland uh, over Christmas, and I got scarlet fever. And so what ended up happening is that the temperature in my body was so elevated that my brain was kind of cooking inside my body. And so there were, the connections weren't being made in my brain, and so 
I could no longer walk. I didn't recognize Rachel or the kids. I wasn't able to speak. I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to say anything. It was just mumbles and gargles, and they took me to the hospital. Um, and w- upon waking up, I woke up, it was, I think it was Christmas Eve when I woke up, um, there was a, a lady in the room, and, and she was mopping in the, in the room that I was in, in Finland. And so my brain said, oh, you know what? It's, it's Christmas Eve, and there's this lady working in this hospital. I, I should say Merry Christmas to her. Just, and, and I said it, and I don't, either there's two possibilities. Either she didn't speak any English whatsoever, and Merry Christmas wasn't registered as anything for her because she completely ignored me, finished mopping and walked out. The second option is that I was still healing, and although I wanted to communicate Merry Christmas to this nice lady, maybe it just came out as like, (laughs) to which she had full reason to ignore me. Like, okay, (laughs) I know why he's in here. And knew she would have finished mopping, and, and then she left. So I don't know which of the two it was. But had I sat up immediately after, after having the scarlet fever and said, hey, let me take this mop, let me start finishing this for you because I want to be able to serve you, that would have been miraculous. So when we're just talking about, this is just a brief way to explain. I'm explaining this because she had a high fever. She was down and out. Jesus spoke to the fever, which... When you think of Jesus engaging with the demons, there's, there's a conversation. The demon has a, a persona, but we're talking about a fever. Jesus has power to speak right into a fever that can't really engage in any way, and the fever left. He rebuked a fever. This is miraculous. This is authority. Um, he had authority to heal. So later on that evening... Right? People were coming to Jesus. People were bringing him to Jesus. People were bringing their sick and the needy. There's some demon possessed as well coming throughout the evening, and, and Jesus was healing them. They were healing them and healing them one after the other. That is authority. That is authority. I don't know if you noticed, but when we're talking about authority, one of the things that we see in this text is that the demons have this interaction with Jesus. And some of the things that they're saying, they said, oh no, we, you are the Holy One of God. That's one of the things they say. They, they acknowledge that he has authority. They acknowledge that he's the Son of God. Um, there's a, Later on in the verse, um, where was that? Towards the end of it. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. You are the Son of God. Yeah, these are the things that they're engaging with Jesus, that they're saying Jesus doesn't need the demons to be able to speak to who he is. And what does he do? He uses his authority, and and he stops them from speaking. He doesn't need the demons going out to declare who the Son of God is. He's like, I can do that for myself. And so he uses that authority to even stop something that was, it's true, but he has the authority to decide who who is going to testify for who he actually is. And he's like, this is something that I'm going to do. I don't need you. And so this is another example of this this incredible authority that he had. He rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because he knew that he was the Messiah. So we're looking at these different areas of, of authority. I think it's evident that 
when we think about Jesus, yes, he has authority. But we also move in to Jesus has compassion. So we're going to go through this text once again, and we're just going to look at how did we see compassion in, um, in this text here. And so one of the things that we're looking at is we'll go back right to the temple, right? Compassion. If he was taking the time to preach the word of God, he knew that people needed the word of God. So even his teaching in the temple was an indication that he had compassion from the people. He knew their needs. He knew they needed the word of God. And so he was investing time sharing the word of God. Then we move on to the man with the unclean spirit that was also in the, in the synagogue. I'd like to highlight the fact there was a man with an unclean spirit. We don't see, oh, and there was an unclean spirit in the temple, and Jesus um, sent the spirit away. There was a man, and he freed the man. Jesus saw the man. Jesus saw the man's needs, and he used his authority to free the man, but he saw the man. He saw the man that was suffering under the weight of possession. And one of the cool things about that part is that it says the man was not hurt. He freed the man, and the man was not hurt. The compassion that Jesus had on that man was significant. We go to Simon's mother-in-law. Here we're starting to see compassion coming from uh, Simon uh, and Peter and his wife towards his mother. They go to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, will you help her? So they had compassion on, Jesus's, on, on Peter's mother-in-law, and they said, can you do something, Jesus? One, they knew the authority that Jesus had. Two, the compassion moved them into action and said, can you do something here? Jesus, please help her do something. So here we're seeing compassion coming um, from Jesus, one, because he did the healing, and also from Peter, and I'm assuming his wife was there at the moment as well. Um, I don't know if some of you have seen The Chosen. You can YouTube this if you'd like to. If you YouTube um, The Chosen, Jesus Heals Simon's Mother-in-Law. I think they they did a really good job of of showing the compassion that Jesus had in that moment. I think think we can often gloss over Jesus' compassion because sometimes we just only focus on his authority and the way he speaks to the demons and the way he rebukes the fever. But they just, I felt like the actor did a really good job of, of establishing, oh, like, there's compassion here and there's a sincere care and a sincere love for the people that he's serving, the, the people that he's pouring into. So if you want to look at that later on, feel free. It's kind of fun. Um, they added in there that Jesus liked goat cheese. That is extra biblical, so just give you a heads up. Um, if you see it, let me know. Um, so we have, we have that. We have Simon's mother-in-law and, and the compassion that he had on them. Later on, the cro- in the evening, the crowds brought the sick to Jesus. So we're seeing that how the crowds had compassion on the people that they realized that were around them. Maybe it was family members, maybe it was neighbors, maybe um, it was just people that were in need in the streets. They realized, hey, Jesus is here. Jesus has authority, but he clearly has compassion as well. And they had compassion on those people with those needs. And so they're picking up their people and they're bringing them to Jesus. They had compassion on the people that were around them. They had compassion on their sick. Their possessed were freed as well. 
It's just another opportunity where we see Jesus' compassion, but we also see people saying, I have compassion on you for your situation, for things that have happened or things that are happening. I have an answer, and his name is Jesus. And we see the compassion and how that brought them to bring them, their needy, to Jesus. We continue on. Um, Jesus, at, at the end of, of our text today, he, keep, he, pro, he came to proclaim the good news. Um, the people begged Jesus to stay, like, don't leave us. He saw what Jesus was doing. They saw his compassion. They saw his authority. They're like, stay with us, stay with us. And here, once again, we see Jesus' compassion, and he says, no, you know what? There's other people in need as well. And so I, I've served you. I've let you know who I am. I've given you hope. I've given you peace. I've brought healing into your lives. I've given you purpose. And now I, there's others that need. And so his compassion to continue moving on and sharing the good news with other people was part of his motivation to go and <laughs> for God so loved the world, right? There was other towns and surrounding villages that also needed to heal. To hear. And so even the fact that he was leaving this town was an act of compassion for those that didn't know who he uh, was just yet. So the need was great, and he knew he needed to press on to reach more. So we see that Jesus has authoritative compassion. And although, like I said in the beginning, those two don't always seem to go together. When we look at who Jesus is in his word, we see both in the text, one thing after the other. You can see the authority. You can also see the compassion there right next to it. Um, so the question is, what is our response? What is our response to the text where we're understanding Jesus' authority, we're understanding his compassion? I think there's probably, there's four, maybe more. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do the work in your hearts to see where it goes. But here's some different thoughts on um, how we can respond to this. It's very possible that today is a day that you just need to accept Jesus' authority. Authority is not a word that we like to use. It can slightly make us feel uncomfortable. When I think of the snipers, I did not feel comforted by the fact that they were there, right? But here, when we're talking about God, what a great opportunity to say, we are not the end-all, be-all, but God who created me is the God who created the universe is allowing his authoritative words to transform us from the inside out, taking the opportunity to say, God, I am the clay, and I want you to authoritatively shape me into whatever you want, whether that be a vase, not a vase, or whatever you have planned for me. God, take Take me as I am and shape and mold me. Use this process through the Holy Spirit that we can become more and more Christ-like to allow his authority to work in our lives. We allow his authoritative word to change our lives. Please work us from the inside out. And, but I want you to remind you that it's not just his authority alone that we accept when we're saying, okay, God, I give you everything. When that authority comes in, it also comes with compassion. So we're not asking God to come in, be my policeman in my life. You're asking God to come in with his authority, but understanding full well that his compassion is there for you as well. And that I want to remind you that he wants to see you restored. He wants to see you healed. He wants to see you given new hope, freedom, peace, 
And he wants to remind you that there's a certainty that he's holding you in the midst of chaos. So that's the part that leads us to compassion. Maybe that's another area, that's another response that we can have, acceptance of Jesus' compassion. Maybe it's a renewed reaction, a re- renewed reflection on the compassion that he actually has for you. Maybe, maybe that's an aspect of God, maybe that's an aspect of Jesus that this time of life, you've, I, you don't know how that really plays in. Maybe it's a time to dig a little bit deeper, equipping yourself with his word. Dig through his word and say, what does God's word say about his love for me and his love for others? Yes, I realize that hard things in life happen. I'm fully aware of that, but those hard things do not negate the love that he has for you and the compassion that he has for you because that was fully demonstrated on the cross. He need not do anything above and beyond what he accomplished on the cross and the fact that he rose from the dead. Prove that what he did for you on the cross was sufficient. It does not mean that life is going to be easy. I know there's going to be hard and difficult things, but I just want to remind you that, that does not, the hard does not negate the love that he has for you. I just want to make that really clear. I want to remind you that he sees you exactly where you're at, He wants to bring healing to the hurts and the sickness and the pain and the trauma and the addictions. And he wants to give you that peace and hope and remind you of his unconditional love for you. Maybe it's an awakening to the needs of others. This is the third possibility of how to respond to this. Um, Maybe it's realizing, again, through the text, we see people bringing their needy to Jesus Maybe it's an awakening to say, yeah, this is something that I need to do more frequently. Maybe I've, I've given up. Maybe I feel like there's no hope for so-and-so, and so why continue to press on? But we know that Jesus is the only solution. And so what does that look like? One, you can be diligently praying for them. I know there's people in my life that I've given up praying for that I need. This is definitely a applicable to my life that I need to start praying for once again to be like, God, I know you're not done with, with, with trying to reach them like, and, and start laying them before the Father on a regular basis. Maybe it means you taking them out for coffee and spending one time just listening to where they're at. Maybe you just need to hear what's life like, how have they been, what are some of their struggles, what are some of their joys, and then maybe going home and then spending time in the Word and saying, okay, God, these are some of the things that I've heard. What does your Word say about some of the things that they shared with me so that the next time we go out to coffee, I can say, hey, you know this thing that you shared last time? Look, I was reading, and these are some verses that I read that speak specifically into that. Maybe that's a possibility. Maybe it's inviting someone to one of the workshops um, like Eleanor just did a week ago. Maybe it's like, hey, let's take this opportunity, let's go sit, let's learn together, and let's see what God can say to us. But maybe it's time to be reactivated and saying, yes, these people need to know who Jesus is and to spend some time and effort sharing with them, inviting them, flat out sharing the gospel with them and looking for opportunities for God to open up doors to continue um, to bless them with the knowledge of what we have in God's word. Um, in this fourth area, 
maybe our response simply needs to be to worship, to worship Jesus for his authoritative compassion. Maybe just the realization that he's both authoritative and compassionate together should just cause us to say, God, you are dot, dot, dot. Maybe our response just needs to be worship because we realize that maybe it's all four of these things. I, I, I don't know, but maybe it's just in the realization every time we have a new insight to who God is or we're reminded of who God is, those moments should lead us to worship. Those moments should lead us to just declare who he is because he's worthy of that. He deserves our worship. And so we want to give you the opportunity to do that um, right away. We're going we're gonna to move into some worship. And so as, as, um, yeah, as Johnny gets us set up here, um, I want you to think through this text this morning that, that we read about. I want you to re- just re- be reminded that, yes, God has ultimate authority. Jesus displayed that in his miracles but he also has compassion. And that's something that we can definitely be worshiping our God about.